Have you ever heard it said that we should not discuss politics or religion in polite company? If you have, I'm guessing you know that the reason we often heed this advice is that it helps us maintain relationship by avoiding difficult conversations where there might be disagreement. This is a wonderful thing to practice at the Thanksgiving table when you find yourself seated among relatives you haven't seen in years. When you know that even the slightest mention of religion or politics could bring the table to erupt in disagreement and argument. But as people of faith, this is not the way we've been called to live. In fact, as United Methodists, we believe that part of living out our faith in action is facing difficult social issues head on. In the past few weeks, we've been exploring the social principles of the United Methodist Church in a sermon series called Church Social as a way that we might educate ourselves about what our faith teaches us about social issues facing our world today and also as a way to open up dialogue between ourselves and perhaps people who don't see things exactly the same way we see them. As people of faith, we are called to enter in to these courageous conversations, which can often be uncomfortable, but we do so knowing that if we can sit with our discomfort, we might find God moving and pushing us to grow in new ways, even as we're challenged. This morning, we are going to continue in this discussion by talking about the economic community. And certainly we can agree that money would be put right there beside politics and religion in the list of things we shouldn't talk about. However, this morning, I invite you to sit with any discomfort you might experience, to ponder why you feel challenged and to see if God is opening your heart to a new way of understanding. Today, we're continuing to hear from a prophet who is often very challenging, Amos. As you know, Pastor Eric read from Amos chapter five last week, and we're actually gonna go to an earlier part in that same chapter today. But before we jump in, I want to remind us about Amos and the context of his prophecy. Amos is a book that is concerned with justice and righteousness because Amos is a prophet that was sent to the Northern Kingdom of Israel to talk to the people about their unjust practices. You see, the Northern Kingdom of Israel had become a hub for trade. They had seen in the past years a boom in their economy and many of the people in that economy had gained great wealth. But there was one little problem and this was the problem Amos was sent to address. There was a great disparity between the people who had wealth and the people who did not have wealth. And there were often practices that were unethical, where wealth was gained at the expense of the poor. And so God sent Amos to speak to the people, to see if they would repent of their unjust ways and live into God's vision of justice. And this is what we will hear this morning as we read Amos chapter 5. We're going to read verses 7 through 13. Now today I'm going to pick a little bit of a different translation of scripture. I'm going to use Eugene Peterson's The Message because I think it helps us. It helps take language that often feels far off and distant and not applicable to our lives and brings it into a vernacular we use and understand. I think it helps us take scripture from something that's out here or that happened in the past to something that's speaking to us in the place that we find ourselves today. 
After I read the scripture this morning, I want us to affirm what we've heard together, even if it's difficult. I'll lead us in saying this is the word of God for the people of God, and I invite you to affirm the reading of scripture by saying thanks be to God. Now let us hear God's word for us today. Woe to you who turn justice to vinegar and stomp righteousness into the mud. Do you realize where you are? You're in a cosmos star flung with constellations by God. A world God wakes up each morning and puts to bed each night. God dips water from the ocean and gives the land a drink. God, God revealed, does all this. And he can destroy it as easily as make it. He can turn this vast wonder into total waste. People hate this kind of talk. Raw truth is never popular, but here it is, bluntly spoken. Because you have run roughshod over the poor and take the bread right out of their mouths, you're never going to move into the luxury homes you've built. You're never going to drink the wine from the expensive vineyards you've planted. I know precisely the extent of your violations, the enormity of your sins, appalling you bully right-living people, taking bribes right and left and kicking the poor when they're down. Justice is a lost cause. Evil is epidemic. Decent people throw up their hands. Protest and rebuke are useless. A waste of breath. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Reading those words aloud from a first world nation stings me a little bit this morning. I'm, I'm guessing hearing them felt a little cringeworthy to you too. I suspect part of the reason that Amos's words hit us so hard is that we realize on some basic fundamental level that our money has power and that there are times when we use our money and by association, our power and ways that don't live into God's vision for the world. If you don't believe me, let me give you this example. In every church community I have been a part of, whether I've served as a pastor or been a member of a congregation, there has always come a fundamental debate about money and power and the church. And no, I'm not talking about the church budget, though that can get contentious too. I'm talking about a discussion about what we do with our money. When we find ourselves sitting in our car and we are on the exit ramp and we are stopped and we see a person out in front of us holding a sign, walking car to car, asking for money. People of faith panic in this moment because we don't know what to do. The person is looking for money for food. So do we as people of faith who have been instructed by Jesus to feed the hungry, roll down our window and offer them a $20 bill? We worry about this because we know that that $20 bill could be used to buy some food, to nourish their body, to do what we've been called to do. But we also know that as soon as we hand that money over, we lose the power to control how it's spent. And unfortunately, sometimes that money can be spent on things that don't nourish the body, but that harm the body. That money could be used to fuel an addiction or harm another person. And as people of faith, we don't know what to do in that situation. 
This morning, I'm less concerned about having that conversation yet again and discussing the best way to handle it. Instead, I just want us to think about this example as something that proves to us as people of faith that we think money is important and that we respect the power that money has to both build up and to break down. This is what Amos is pointing to as he's speaking to the people of the Northern Kingdom. He's reminding them of something they've forgotten, that money is a gift from God and that with the gift of money comes responsibility, responsibility for spending that money in a way that helps and doesn't harm other people. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, wrote a whole sermon called The Use of Money. In this sermon, there is an often paraphrased quote that goes like this, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Wesley's motivation for writing this sermon was seeing how the movement of Methodists in England and in the new American colonies was changing. You see, Methodists, Methodism was started in part because of something John Wesley experienced in England during the Industrial Revolution. He, as an Anglican, was looking at the people who sat next to him in the pews of church in their fine clothes and their fancy things. But he was stepping outside of church onto the street into the masses and seeing people who had nothing. He was keenly aware that there was a great disparity in his world over money. And he felt that as a person of faith, the church should be open to people of all economic statuses and that the church should not cater to one or the other. And so he began to teach and preach about how we close the wealth gap. But looking out over his congregation as it grew and evolved, he began to see Methodists acquiring more and more wealth. And it led him to write this sermon in which he says this. Of the three rules which are laid down, you may find many that observe the first rule, namely, gain all you can. You may find a few that observe the second, save all you can. But how many have you found that observe the third rule, give all you can? Have you reason to believe that 500 of these are to, to be found among 50,000 Methodists? And yet nothing can be more plain than that all who observe the first rule without the third will be twofold more children of hell than ever they were before. That's a, that's a harsh sermon Wesley preached there, calling to people's attention that as Methodists, we can't just follow rules one and two. We got to go all the way to three. We can't just earn and save without giving. For John Wesley, this meant something in particular, too. It wasn't just earning money by any means. Wesley meant, and Wesley says in this sermon, that you must earn money in a way that does not harm other people. You must earn money through honest means. You must earn money in a way that doesn't prey on the poor. And when Wesley says that we should save all that we can, Wesley is not talking about hoarding our wealth to ourselves. What he's saying is that once we have earned money, we should pause and be thoughtful about the ways that we spend it. We shouldn't be frivolous in spending our money 
Instead, sometimes there is wisdom in saving our money until we have clarity about how God is calling us to use it. Finally, when John Wesley says to give all that we can give, he is calling us to remember that God is the source of all that we have. And so to keep our wealth to ourselves is to fail to acknowledge that what we have is not earned by our own hard work, but by the blessing and gift of God. So you might wonder, what does this mean? What do the words of Amos thousands of years ago mean for us today in 2020? What do John Wesley's words from the 1700s mean to us today in 2020 at Shambly United Methodist Church? Well, for Methodists, part of the answer to this question lies in what we learn through the social principle of economic community. For Methodists, we've always approached money as a communal resource. This can be traced back to Acts when we see the early Christian community forming and pooling their money together so that they can help the poor and those in need. For Methodists, we call our form of communal giving apportionments. And right there in the word itself is a definition of what it is. We take a portion of what we collect in each local Methodist church and we give it to the general church to support larger ministries that exceed what any one local congregation can do. Through apportionments, United Methodists are able to support things like Africa University, which is a leading university on the continent of Africa that is there for all Africans to be developed in leadership through undergraduate, graduate, and postgraduate studies. Do you know that through our apportioned giving just in North Georgia alone, United Methodists support five colleges and universities. Included on that list is Oxford at Emory and Emory University, which have historic Methodist ties. When we pool our money together, we can fund hospitals like the Emory Hospital System. We can fund ministries and missionaries in urban and rural settings that far exceed any one place or context or any monies any one congregation can collect. As Methodists, we believe that when we share our resources together, we can create the greatest good, not only for our communities, but for the world. We're keenly aware that even as a congregation, how we use our money impacts other people. And so as United Methodists, we talk not only about how congregations use their money, but how we as individual Methodists spend our money in our personal time and our personal lives. The social principles teach us that consumers should exercise their economic power to encourage the manufacture of goods that are necessary and beneficial to humanity while avoiding the desecration of the environment in either production or consumption. Consumers should avoid purchasing products made in conditions where workers are being exploited because of their age, gender, or economic status. You see, as Methodists, we believe that we have power as consumers, that our money is put into action when it's spent. And by choosing carefully, how and who we support with our funds, both as a general church and as individuals, we can help remedy some of the issues that are facing our world. We only have to look back to 2004 to see how Methodists use both Wesley's rules about money 
and our social principles teaching to impact the lives of migrant farm workers here in the United States. You see, in 2000, there was a group in Florida called the Coalition of Immokalee Workers. If you're not familiar with this organization, I hope you will go look them up. They're truly fascinating and doing wonderful work for the migrant farming communities in Florida. The Immokalee workers were trying to bring to national attention both the unfair wages they were being paid, but also the unsafe working conditions they were being forced to work within just to earn the little bit of money they earned. And so they began a national campaign calling on people to boycott two organizations that they knew were profiting from migrant workers in tomato fields. One of those was Taco Bell, the fast food restaurant, and the other was Mount Olive Pickle Company. Of course, not tomatoes, but a different kind of crop. In 2004, the General Conference entertained a resolution that called on all United Methodists to begin a boycott of these two companies. The purpose of this was not only to be thoughtful about how we spent our money, but also to apply our power, to put some pressure on these companies to come to the table, to have a discussion with the migrant workers about creating a more fair, just, and righteous system, not only of pay, but of work environment. And do you know that in 2005, not one, but both companies came to the table and an agreement was reached. This was in great part because United Methodists put their money into action by agreeing through the General Conference to boycott Taco Bell and Mount Olive Pickle Company. Now, we weren't alone. There were other denominations who joined the cause as well. But I think this is just one example where we can see when we're thoughtful about how our money is spent. When we do some investigating about where our products are sourced, when we think about as consumers how the way we spend our money reflects our faith, we can be led to places where we can use our money and the power that it affords us to create a greater good for other people. Because Methodists believe our money has the power to do good, we are often called to wade into the larger economic community and to call out practices that we don't believe reflect what we have been taught through our faith. Because we heed words like the ones we heard from Amos today, we may even be called to step into political discussions, speak on behalf of justice in the economic community and in other spaces in our world. The social principles remind us of our call as a collective church to support the poor and challenge the rich. To begin to alleviate poverty, we support such policies such as adequate income maintenance, quality education, decent housing, job training, meaningful employment opportunities, adequate medical and hospital care, humanization and radical revisions of welfare programs, work for peace in conflict areas, and efforts to protect creation's integrity. Since low wages are often a cause of poverty, employers should pay their employees a wage that does not require them to depend upon government subsidies such as food stamps or welfare for their livelihood. There is so much more detail included in this section on the economic community, and I hope that you will take time to read through it, to think about it, to contemplate it, to be challenged by it. But mostly I hope this morning you will hear God speaking to us through the words of Amos, which are challenging words. 
Amos is inviting us to ask ourselves, are we those people living in luxury homes? Are we the people that he speaks about who plant expensive vineyards but will not enjoy the wine? Or are we the people that John Wesley has called us to be? People who understand that money is power and so we should earn all the money we can. We should save that money and be thoughtful when it's spent. And we should give as much of that money as possible to go to work in our world and in our community to create programs and ministries that reflect God's vision of righteousness and justice. You know, I've seldom met a person of faith who didn't give great thought to how their money was spent. But sometimes as people of faith, thinking about how our money is spent causes us to be uncomfortable. It causes us to make decisions that may cause us to sacrifice more than we're willing to give. And yet if we sit in that discomfort, if we sit in that space and we listen to God and we search the scriptures, we find time and time again that the word is the same. That we are people who are called to live as Jesus lived, to care for those who are hungry and thirsty, to clothe those who are naked, to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a gospel of liberation for the oppressed. As people of faith, we have to be thoughtful about our money. We have to be careful not to hoard our wealth or to earn our money, or to spend our money in a way that hurts another. And so this week, I want to challenge you. I want you in your home with whoever shares your finances with you to think about your money. Are you giving a portion of it to God's ministries at work in the world? The portion you're keeping when you're spending it, do you know where that money is going? Are you supporting companies that have fair trade and labor practices? Or are you buying things without giving thought to where they were created? To whose hands may have sewn the clothes you have on? To whose hands may have picked the fruit from the field that is on your table? Think about your money this week. Think about how it impacts your community. And think about whether the way you earn, save, and give is reflecting who God is calling you to be. Let us pray. Gracious God, in hearing the words of Amos, we confess that oftentimes we take advantage of the blessings you have given us. So often we are convicted that we have pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps, forgetting that it is only by your grace that we live. God, forgive us for the times when we have taken our money and the power it affords us and not used it to reflect your kingdom here on earth. Forgive us when we have been haphazard in our spending, buying things that do not benefit us and do not benefit others. Forgive us when we adorn ourselves with beautiful things while our siblings in Christ go naked. Forgive us when we feast while others face famine. God, help us to be good stewards of all you have given us. 
Help us to be thoughtful about our economic community. And God, help us to realize that so many times you are calling us to places in our world where we will be asked to talk politics or religion. Help us have comfort in those moments, knowing that you will give us the courage to have those conversations, that we might together grow in a better understanding of your vision for your world. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.